0: Suicide is a tough topic, but the Washington County Reach for Hope Suicide Prevention Coalition wants you to know that there is always hope. We are a caring community reaching out to provide compassion and hope for a community free of suicide. In the next half hour, we'll talk with community partners to identify risk factors, raise awareness, and discuss prevention strategies. Hello, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Reach for Hope. I'm Melissa Anderson. You know, dealing with the loss of a loved one or even an acquaintance to suicide is a traumatic and very painful experience. And here at Reach for Hope, we strive to bring awareness to our local communities and beyond to provide a pathway of hope and healing. With me today is Mayor Michelle Randall, who is here to share her experiences and thoughts on how to deal with loss. Thanks for joining us today, Michelle. You're welcome, Melissa. thanks for having me. Now, um, I understand that you had a brother who passed several years ago who took his own life. Tell me a little bit about that experience, and let's
1: get personal here about that. Um, I'm happy to get personal. I think it's important when people are open about suicide. For so long, it was such a taboo subject that no one wanted to talk about. (coughs) Excuse me, I have a frog. So I'm the oldest of four children. It's I have two sisters and I had a brother. And he was the third. And so on March 28th of 2016, I had just gotten home from work and changed my work, out of my nice work clothes into just, you know, something comfy. Can I get a Drink a water real quick. I don't know. All of a sudden, I just got a frog in my throat that doesn't want to go away. That's fine. (coughs) Okay, I think that's better. Yeah. And so I had gotten home and switched into my comfy clothes and went outside to take out the trash. And when I came in, I had a missed call from my mom, but she had left me a voicemail, which she never does. So that was weird. I tried calling her back and she didn't answer. So I listened to the voicemail and I could tell by the voicemail that something was desperately wrong. And so she called me and she said, Michelle, we just got a call from Chris and Chris is my oldest son and he also happens to be a police officer with St. George PD. He's a detective now. And she said, he told us that 911 received a call from McLean. That was my brother's name, and said that he was up at the San Upper San, North San Cove Reservoir, and that he wanted them to send an officer, and that they would find a body with a gunshot wound. And I had asked later for the dispatch calls and listened to them, and and could could hear in his voice, I I could tell, you know, it wasn't terror, but it was very distraught. But he, he was also very calm to the dispatchers. And he said, we're on a recorded line, right? And they said, yes. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to first call my nephew, Officer Chris Randall, with St. George PD and notify him. I want him to notify my parents. I want my parents to notify my wife. And then he hung up on him. And the dispatcher's pleading with him the whole time, you know. And and then she's trying to call him back, trying to call him back. And he answers really quick. And he said, I forgot one thing. He said, tell my family that I've left video messages for them on my phone. And then he hung up on her and that was it. So he had planned this thoroughly. Um, he did it in the county area. So St. George PD didn't have to go on him and, and his nephew horrifically see that. Um, he did it got outside of his truck and, and did it just in front of a tree in the dirt. Um, Sand Cove was one of his favorite fishing spots. And when the sheriff's department got up there, um, the police chief called me and, and said it's, it's a fatality, which I knew in my heart it would be. But just to hear that, you know, um, I, I couldn't get to my mom fast enough. And my dad had left when they heard my dad left his house to go to my brother's house, just hoping it was not true. You know, you're just clinging onto some kind of a hope. Some kind of hope. My brother was uh, 44 at the time, uh, married for 21 years, three children, and he just he had been depressed. He had been suffering with some pretty significant health injuries. He hadn't been working. He felt like he was a failure. You know, he was supposed to be the provider. He couldn't work. His wife was doing all the providing. And I have a really close, tight-knit family, and we all converged at, at my parents' home. And, and, of course, there was... it. You feel like it's not real, and I remember my dad sobbing, and, and that was the hardest part. For me being the oldest, I I tried to be as stoic as I could because I knew that, you know, somebody kind of needed to take charge, and and um, his wife was a mess, and, and she couldn't do it. And um, listening to my dad sob and just say, any other—had it been a car accident or— or cancer or something like that. But when somebody chooses to take their own life, then you're left with just so many questions. Why? Did I do something? Could I have done something? And I just said, we can't, we'll kill our own selves mentally if you just keep asking why. There, there's no, there's never gonna be an answer why. And I remember news in this tra- town travels awfully fast. And uh, my phone started blowing up quickly after uh, people that had heard. And and so I sat and I, I wrote the obituary with my sister and with one of my sisters. And, and when we put the obituary out, I had so many people that said, thank you for just being so honest, for not trying to sugarcoat it and just saying what it was. And then I was really surprised how many people called me that said my own father took his life or I had a sibling that took their life or my mother took her life that I had no idea. These are people that I've known for years. And so we thought as a family that it was important to get the message out that it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter what color you are what religion you are orientation you are it does not matter if it affects everyone and there's always somebody who knows somebody that has been affected by suicide and so after that we um it was only gosh maybe a month later that they had the suicide walk and our family got together and, and raised a couple of thousand dollars just in my brother's name and and did the suicide walk. We did that for a, a couple of years and and I went to there were some forums that reach for Hope was doing uh, uh, Teresa Willie and different people and And I went to some of those and i sh- and I shared um, I thought it was important to share. I was in the position where I was on the city council, so I did have that platform where people would possibly listen. I learned about the QPR training, and I said, that right, right? Mm-hmm. It's, not, yeah. it's not QRP, yeah. it's QPR. Yeah, it's QPR. Mm-hmm. And one thing I really learned that I didn't know before is if somebody's suffering and and they're acting different. They're not wanting to get out of bed. That you're just seeing different signs. It's okay to ask them. Are you thinking about taking your life? Mm-hmm. Did
0: your brother have uh, show any signs prior to that at all? That maybe, maybe you know, were unusual, or did he suffer from any kind of mental health issues as a child?
1: As a child, no. He was he was a happy child. Great. Um, as he got older. He was diagnosed with something called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and it's an autoimmune disease. And so, like, one day he and I were going to lunch, and I was driving. He he was in the passenger side and just went to do up his seatbelt and dislocated his shoulder. So everything, his ligaments were like... Remember that stretch Armstrong dude, you Mm -hmm. know, but his would stretch out and then they wouldn't go back together. Mm. And so from the time he was 21 until he had passed away, he had had like 21, 22 surgeries, knee replacements, ankles, shoulders, wrists. I mean, and he was getting to where he was in so much pain and the pain would get so bad that he'd just pass out. And then a couple the, the weekend before he took his life. He had passed out and fell into the bathtub, hit his head, had a really bad concussion. And I think that's the moment he just thought, I am done. Yeah, he wanted to end the pain and
0: the suffering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of hard to say, OK, we that you blame him for that because he was in so much pain. But at the same time, it, it really doesn't feel like the right answer. But everybody, you know, people have different reasons, I guess. Like Absolutely. You,
1: said, you know. Everybody has a different reason. And for so many years, I think people judged people that committed, well, you don't say it's not committed suicide, it's died by suicide now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what a coward's way out, or, you know, I can't believe they did that to their family. Until you walk in that person's shoes, you can't judge. That's right. Because everybody's going through their own personal battle or demons or whatever it happens to be and i know in his heart and his mind he felt like he was doing the right thing the right thing for his family mm-hmm. he had a great life insurance policy that he kept paid up no matter what no matter how bad the financial situation got and that his family would be better off without him and even though that's not true, I mean, he, he 100% believed it mm-hmm. and, and stated so in the videos he left to all uh, of us. Wow. That had to be an incredible experience to go through,
0: especially trying to take the the lead uh, for your parents and everybody. So
1: did you seek any grief support uh, or help afterwards? Other than just a few um, different forums that I went to, I, I read a lot of books, um, especially when not on, ones on, on when a sibling takes their own life, because you, sometimes our siblings are the people we're with the very most out of our entire lifetime, you know? Um, and so I, I read a lot of books. I, I gave my sisters a couple of books to read and, just did a lot of research. I started going to some of the reach for hope meetings until I just didn't it didn't fit in with my couldn't get it to fit with my schedule anymore. Mm-hmm. But I still stay involved and look at the statistics and and I was so glad when they put in the uh, 988 hotline. Yeah. And the the Safe Utah app. I have that on my phone. I mean if, if I was a, a teenager, what a, what a way to reach out to somebody. You can be anonymous. You can have somebody talking to you without having to divulge who you are, worrying about it getting out or something like that. So I think we've done a lot as a society to try and address it, but we still have so far to go. Yeah, and
0: that's one thing what we're doing here today is to talk about education because that's key to bringing awareness for resources and getting help, bringing hope, uh, trying to understand or learn more about uh, everything that's happening when, when there is a suicide, how to deal with that uh, pathway. Um, it isn't easy. I no. mean, you'd agree
1: with that, right? Education is key. Education is key. And, you know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about my brother. It's uh-huh. We just... On the 28th of March, it was seven years, you know, and, and that's a date that will always stick out in your mind or his birthday is a date that will always stand out. Mm-hmm. And I can see the sorrow on my parents' faces on those days. And so you miss them terribly. The, it gets easier, the pain, you know, but now it's just trying to save somebody else from having to go through that. Right, and
0: and here in Utah, we've actually seen some changes since we've been talking about it. Uh, we have now the fifth highest suicide rate instead of like the third or wherever we were before as in the nation. Um, so, you talked a little bit about the safe. Ut app. Do you think that apps like that and things are are what helps th- those rates go down because they do have somebody to talk to,
1: or they do feel like someone cares, or there's someone to reach out to, especially the teens. I think because the message is getting out there, more people are talking about it. Governor Cox is talking about it. People in leadership positions are talking about it and and making it not so much of this terrible stigma. I must be crazy if I'm thinking this or whatever and i do think those kinds of apps or hotlines help people they they may if just for a second they decide i'm going to i'm going to call that number and if they can connect with somebody that can talk them through things and maybe encourage them to get mental health care in their hometown or whatever that may look like it's It's a game changer. And I can't even, I can't even fathom being a preteen or a teenager in today's day and age. Um, When you and I were growing up, if you were bullied or anything, that ended when school ended. You Mm -hmm. went home and you were safe. Mm -hmm. And now with social media, it's a 24-7 thing. Um, And and we've seen it. Uh, We've seen it here in Utah. A young kid that had been bullied, that just couldn't take it anymore. It's all virtual bullying. Virtual bullying. And so we've just got to be better as a society. And, and um, you know, social media can be great, and then it can also be a total devastating tool to have yeah
0: um you talked earlier about the qpr training um i don't know how many members of your staff uh, at at the city or have taken that but it's very valuable and we offer it through reach for hope at, at the southwest um behavioral health center to get professional um help to learn how to say uh question are you thinking about taking your own life or you know or killing yourself, right? Um, and then per, um, persuading them to to get the help, or taking them to that help, or referring them to that help. Um, ha, have you ever had to use that since you've learned about it? Or
1: I have. I have. A, my youngest son suffers with depression, uh-huh. and he just went through a divorce not too long ago, and had been married for ten years, and was was quite distraught, and I was really worried about him. And I straight up said, are, are you thinking about taking your life? And he said, no. And I said, are, are you sure? And he said, no, I would tell you if I was. And so I, I had no qualms in asking him that. But when you go back to the QPR training, um, years ago, I know a lot of our staff were trained, but we've had a lot of turnover since then. And I think it would be beneficial for us to all go through it um, or go through it again. It's never, you know, our police department deals with mental health every single day.
0: Yeah, that's totally the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are right on the front lines. And I'm, I would imagine that even ambulance services and things like that have to deal with that uh, face forward. And for them to have to deal with it afterwards is another problem. Right. You know, remembering and seeing things happen visually is is can create PTSD which can, can trigger
1: other problems. And with my youngest son, that was one of so he's he was a life flight paramedic and before that a ground paramedic in Las Vegas and and route and worked the the concert in Vegas, the route, whatever it was called, uh or the Mandalay Bay shooter, oh, yeah. you know. And His therapist did diagnose him with PTSD. I mean, he he saw a lot and lived, and you know, it was a war zone. That was a mass shooting. It was a mass shooting. I can't
0: remember how many people were killed out of that. It seems like 50-something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to see and experience something like that, I met a gal who had come to the graduation here at Utah Tech a couple of years ago. She was sitting on the grass next to me, and she said, you know, I have a hard time getting out and being in the in, in crowds. So she was sitting back, and she had explained to me that she had been there that night at the concert, and all she can do is remember running. Um, I understand that PTSD. Once it, you know, gets triggered and then you go back out, something something as simple as a graduation or a gunshot or a sound or a noise can trigger that. So we all need to be, you know, mindful of that,
1: even during the 4th of July. Exactly. I Especially for our veterans, you know, we forget about them and all that they've been through. Even if it's Vietnam vets, you know, they still they're triggered by by things like that. And the suicide rate among our veterans is extremely high. It's too high. Yeah. And so, just even I don't know, fifteen years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation you know it seemed like this subject was taboo nobody wanted to talk about it yeah and so i think that now that more people are talking about it it's bringing awareness and 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 saving some lives
0: and more people are talking about mental health in general and that it's okay to not be okay um because that's where a lot of this starts is you know you if you're not feeling just like if you break your leg you go to the doctor if you're not feeling
1: right you might want to go get it checked out. I had a cousin and and actually we were doing the the suicide walk and he had he had suffered with depression and anxiety and and um he said that they wanted to put him on meds and I am not going to go on meds and I said well if you were a diabetic would you hesitate taking insulin you wouldn't you know and so there are some medications that are absolutely needed for mental health. Um, Our mental health is as important as any other part of our body. That's right. How grateful
0: then are you, obviously, that we have all these resources out here that we didn't have available? And and would that, do you think, have made a difference
1: um, at the time that your brother took his life or not? I'm not sure it would have made a difference in his life. I think he he had had all he could take and... And I'd um, seen every doctor possible to, to try and alleviate his pain and and physical pain mixed with mental pain just is a deadly combination. But I think we have come so far and we've heard of people that have been helped through, through all of the many things that we have. And here in Southern Utah, you know, the Doctors Volunteer Clinic has a mental health clinic. And they have an opening that they don't fill every day. So somebody could just walk in off the street and say, I'm in crisis and I need to see someone ASAP. And they have someone there to see them. So, you know, you've got the hospital and you've got other resources that there's a lot bigger focus on mental health. And we have
0: the new crisis stabilization center that's opening up too out there by the correctional facility. So... There's, there's resources out there. We just need to make sure that people get a hold of those and, and go to the websites, reachforhopeutah.org, other, other, um, you know, the hospital, as you said, the access center. The resources are there. So uh, let me ask you, from a mayor's perspective, then, what would you like to leave our viewers and our, and our audience with uh, our listeners when it comes to you know,
1: support in the community and um, reaching out? I think that no one should be afraid to reach out. No one should feel like they're not strong enough or they're weak. I think that's just such a misnomer. Everybody struggles with something in their lives, and that they need to know that we want them in our community, and whatever we can do to help, we want to be able to help so that they stay with us and so that. Their family never has to go through what my family did. And sharing your experience, I think, is going to
0: help them as well, because they're hearing you, someone who is in a high position, as mayor of the city of St. George, saying, it's okay, you it, know, reach out. That's right. Take that lifeline. Yeah. And and remember, there's the, the 988 number, which I think will make it a lot easier for people as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd just like to say thank you for sharing your story today and allowing us to to talk and have this conversation and for um, reaching out and and letting people know, you know, that it's okay. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, but at the same time, you're at such a place of peace and understanding at this point that it's great that you're sharing your story and getting rid of that stigma that we've got out there. So thank you so much. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah. And thank you for joining us. And remember, um, there's always hope. So Reach out and uh, help someone. Thanks for watching. The Reach for Hope Coalition wants you to know that we care about you and we are here to help. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, reach out, you're not alone. To access resources for yourself or others, visit our webpage at reachforhopeutah.org. That's reach, the number four, hope, utah.org. If you are experiencing a crisis, please call or text the Suicide Crisis Lifeline at 988 because you matter and there is always hope.
1: This has been a production from a podcast studio.